and good morning. By a round of applause, can I hear how you feeling today? Not too bad on this Pentecost Sunday. Happy Pentecost Sunday. What's Pentecost Sunday? 50 days has passed since Easter. Can you believe it? And it's a day that we celebrate, we honor and remember the priceless gift that is the Holy Spirit. Amen. The songs today, the the word that Pastor Jacob shared, all kind of woven together representing this Pentecost Sunday. Clap your hands if you are thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit and how he empowers us. Amen, amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Destiny Church. For those that don't know, my name is Daniel Sutton. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to share the word today. Our lead pastors are out of town. They will be back this evening and back here in the house next Sunday, and you can bet that Pastor Chris will be ready to preach the word again. So do not miss next Sunday. Last week, we covered Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We then looked at several different characters from Scripture that demonstrated a life of trust. We saw how Moses trusted God when there was literally no way out. The Red Sea in front of him and the Egyptian army gaining, bearing down upon them. We saw Deborah trust God as she went through the various demands of life as a, as a mom and as a, a spouse and as a leader of troops. She led the Israelites into battle. She trusted God. We saw how David trusted God when his life was not how he had pictured it, hiding in a cave, fearing for his life after he had been anointed the next king of Israel. We saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trust God no matter what the outcome would be, being tossed into the furnace. We saw an unnamed woman trust God while she experienced great physical pain. We saw Zachariah and Elizabeth trust God when a longing was long unfulfilled. Well, this morning, we're going to quickly rewind before we move ahead. Let's begin in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1. And set a good foundation this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Last week's verses, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Today's verses, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Amen? Now, each of these couplets or groupings of two verses are conditional promises, each one of them, and they follow an if-then rhythm. Did you pick up on that? Verse 1, if, verse 2, then, verse 3, if, verse 4, then. Last week, we looked at 5 and 6, and so on. Well, remember, as we've seen in a couple places in Proverbs already, and starting with verse 1 of this chapter, this is written from a father to a son, written from Solomon to Rehoboam. Now, I don't know 
if there are any snail mail aficionados in the place today, but I still get handwritten letters from my dad. I haven't seen my dad but one time since we've moved to Jacksonville, and that really stinks, but he is so good about writing our entire family letters, and he'll even cut out comic strips and like add a little commentary with it, so it's just really, really good, always something to look forward to. This is written from a father to a son. After challenging his son to trust the Lord and seek the will of the Lord in his direction, Solomon then urges his son to not be proud, to not be self-obsessed, to not be a dum-dum who trusts in his own intellect and his own judgment. So this morning, let's imagine our Heavenly Father writing this letter to us, his children. Not that God would call us a dum-dum, I don't think he would, but you know what I mean. Now, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 get way overshadowed by verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 are actually in the top 10 of most searched verses online. And 7 and 8 get a bum rap. This is unfortunate because they belong together. They are so closely knit. And today's verses, 7 and 8, are best understood when kept together with verses 5 and 6 especially. So as we unpack today's verses, I want you to keep last week's verses in mind, okay? Those verses again, verses 5 through 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body, and nourishment to your bones. Verses 7 and 8 in the New Living Translation. If you've been here before and have heard me speak, you know I like to give multiple versions of the Bible just to show some different perspectives. The Word of God is kind of like an onion, kind of like an ogre, and you have all these different layers that these different translations show us. So today's verses in the New Living Translation. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Raise your hand if you've ever accomplished something and then said, man, I even impressed myself. Raise your hand. Go ahead and admit it. All right, I have too. I'm not what you would call a handyman. That said, I've improved in this area, and you know, I've impressed myself with the small things I've been able to fix and figure out. Some little car things, some washer and dryer things, and and that's a silly example, but the point is, the Bible says we should not be impressed with our own wisdom. The truth is, the only good in me is from God, amen? Whatever wisdom I have is from Him, amen? Same for you. Today's verses in the message paraphrase read this way, don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. And finally, today's verses in the Amplified. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord with reverent awe and obedience and turn entirely away from evil. How many times do we just kind of like 
maybe do a little 45 degree turn from evil. Kind of one foot in, one foot out, right? We're to turn entirely from evil. It will be health to your body, your marrow, your nerves, your sinews, your muscles, all your inner parts, and refreshment, physical well-being to your bones. Amen? Woo! God's word is awesome. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word, for how powerful it is, for how life-giving it is, for how transformational it is for us. Give us ears to hear your voice today. Lord, give us minds to comprehend, hearts to receive, hands and feet and mouths to apply your word, your truth to our lives. In Jesus' name, the strong Son of God. And everybody said, Amen. The same day that I graduated from Southeastern University, I boarded a plane to Fredericksburg, Virginia. The same day. I was on my way to begin my brand new ministry career as a youth pastor. And so my first Saturday there, I wanted to get to know the city, see what gems I could discover. So I went for a drive. I found myself in beautiful downtown Fredericksburg. Um, right up against the Rappahannock River. And all of a sudden, there was another car driving straight at me. Like, straight at me. Turns out I was heading the wrong way down a one-way street. And I found out the hard way. Imagine being in a part of town that you had never been to before. You have no idea where to go or what to do. So you do what everyone does when they don't know where they're going, they pull out their phone and they ask Google for directions or for suggestions for gas station near me or whatever. And then GPS plots a route for you to follow. The last thing you want to do, especially as a man, is ask another human being for directions. So instead you ask your phone. Young people, did you know there was a day when you couldn't ask your phone for directions? Young people, did you know there was a day that you couldn't carry your phone in your pocket? Did you know there was a day when phones were only used to talk to somebody? What? It's true. It's true. But if you never used that feature on your phone, what would happen? What if you didn't trust the directions that it gave you? What if you decided that you know more than the phone and the internet and the satellite and the maps and, and decide to go your own way? Well, unless you're really, really lucky, you would probably end up even more lost. That's a lot like what these verses are saying today. It's telling us to not think that we are wise. We shouldn't think that we can make decisions independently of God. Yet so many times, that's exactly what we do, isn't it? We don't get God's help on our decision-making. We don't include God in our lives and in our plans. We say, God, I got this one. Go take a break. We don't run after him. We don't run away from the things that keep us from him. And because of this, we end up lost, heading in the wrong direction. Like last Sunday, I want to share some of the original Hebrew words this morning from the text just to help us gain a better understanding. In verse 7, we find the English word wise from the Hebrew word hakam, meaning skilled, shrewd, astute. 
This is sharp powers of judgment and the ability to accurately assess a situation. We find the English word fear from the Hebrew word yare, meaning worship, revere, reverence, deep respect, awe. We find the word Lord, same one that was used in verse 5, trust in the Lord, from the root word kyrios, meaning master, owner, sir. I really like that one. Sir of God, capital Lord, capital master. We find the English word shun from the Hebrew sir, meaning turn away, depart, leave, reject, get rid of, take off, abolish, resist, or formally put an end to. We find the word evil from the Hebrew word ra, meaning bad or wicked. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the movie Goodwill Hunting. Anybody? Ah, not too bad. I'm not endorsing this movie in any way, okay? Nobody get mad at me, but a handful of you have seen it, so... Goodwill Hunting, there's a scene that takes place in a bar in Boston, and there is this know-it-all who knows that he knows it all. And he is super arrogant and privileged and just convinced that he's God's gift to the academic community. And he wants to educate whoever he can. He has really awful hair in the movie, which makes it even better. And as he's sharing these things, he gets caught. He gets called out for quoting book after book, line after line, trying to pass it off as his own thoughts on the subject. Why would he try to do this? Well, of course, there was a girl that he was trying to impress. Well, Will Hunting, played by Matt Damon, is the guy who knew exactly what page and paragraph this guy was quoting from. He was wicked smart in this movie. And Will ends up impressing the girl, just by being himself. Later, he walks over to the guy and asks him a question. He said, do you like apples? The guy says, yes. And Will took a piece of paper out and he said, well, I got a number. How you like them apples? We have, we have what seems to be a natural tendency to overestimate ourselves and to think that we know better than anyone else. I think more often than not, we're the bad-haired guy who thinks he knows it all that he's impressing people in Goodwill Hunting. All of us have known people who refuse to be corrected under any circumstance. Parents, can I get an amen? I wonder where our kids get that from. It's certainly not us, right? But we know somebody who always thinks they are right all the time, and they do not accept correction. I think if we're honest, all of us at times have refused to be corrected as well. This demonstrates our inclination to exalt our own wisdom above the wisdom of others. An inclination that goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to creation. You see, in Eden, in the garden, creation started to think that it was more wise than the creator. Adam and Eve chose to eat the forbidden fruit because they chose to believe that they knew better than God, that it was more wise to do what they wanted to do than it was to obey the instruction of the Lord, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So if sinless creatures, and up until then, Adam and Eve were sinless creatures, if they could give in to that temptation, 
how much more are we to not trust in ourselves? So scripture warns us to not be wise in your own eyes, not to rely on your judgment, but to trust first and foremost in the Lord and in his word. And then secondly, in the godly wisdom that we see evident in the lives of others that are serving the Lord faithfully. Another example of this is found in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It is a good thing when we do not exalt our own wisdom, when we do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Write this down if you're taking note or fill in the blank. Truly wise people are always open to correction. Truly wise people are always open to correction. I remember Pastor Chris preaching on staying fat, staying fat, faithful, available, teachable. I think that last one, teachable, may be the hardest one for me. Because sometimes I think I'm more wise than I am. Probably just me. Matthew Henry author of a huge six-volume commentary on the entire Bible, said, quote, There is not a greater enemy to the power of religion and the fear of God in the heart than conceitedness of our own wisdom. When we think we know better than the Lord, we've already fallen into sin, and it can only get worse from there. Now, no believer... No follower of Christ here in person or viewing online in their right mind thinks that they know better than the Lord. But our actions say otherwise. In order to not trust in ourselves above God, we must continually turn to the word and confess our sin and our foolishness and seek to learn from him and from others who are more wise than we are. You know, not long ago in the disciple-making series, we were talking about the relationships that we need in our lives, right? We all need people in our lives that are more wise than us to help bring us up higher. We need relationships with those in our lives that are on the same level as us to sharpen one another. And we all need someone that we are discipling, someone that is not yet as spiritually mature as we are so that we can help them up. I think often the hardest one is finding someone else that you think you can learn from because you think you know it all. You know, what can that person teach me? I've thought that before, right? How dare you, Daniel? When we think we are wise or when we're impressed by ourselves, we're leaning on our own understanding. That's exactly what verse 5 tells us not to do. When we are focused on ourselves or even just distracted by ourselves, we're not able to acknowledge the Lord, as it says to do in verse 5 as well. So we really, really, really need to stop thinking that we have all the answers. This is pride. Now, pride can be a positive quality, right? If it's, ex if it's applied as like pleasure in, in your job that motivates you to do excellent in your job, then that is a positive kind of pride. More often than not, the pride that we deal with is a sinful one because it's rooted in conceit and ingratitude and independence from God. 
It's the pride that Solomon describes as, quote, a haughty spirit. The Lord does not like this kind of pride. In fact, he hates it. He still loves us when we have it. Aren't you thankful? But he hates the pride. Why does God hate the pride so much? Because he knows what it leads to. And he wants to protect us from what it leads to. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Romans 1.22 says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So we need to deal with our pride. One of the ways that we can deal with our pride is, is to walk in humility. And one of the ways that we walk in humility, the best way to walk in humility is by living in fear. Living in fear? Hold on, time out. Doesn't 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 say that God has not given us a spirit of fear? but of power, love, and self-discipline, or a sound mind. Amen? That's what God's word says. But there is a different kind of fear, a good kind of fear, the fear of the Lord, the fear that we define by looking at the original Hebrew word, fear, yareh, meaning worship, revere, reverence, deep respect, awe. This is a good kind of fear. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 describes this kind of fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning or foundation of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs gives us some other examples of this good kind of fear, and they actually sound pretty similar to what we'll find in verse 8. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 27, fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The Bible actually uses fear over 300 times when referring to God. So how can we have fear? How can we fear God when his perfect love expels all fear, as we see in 1 John 4.18? Only because of Jesus and only through Jesus. Jesus Christ is the perfect example of fear and love working hand in hand. Did you know that fear and love can work hand in hand? Jesus warned us to fear God, and he had a holy, healthy fear of his Father while demonstrating his perfect love on the cross for us. He told us that we should hate evil at the same time giving mercy and grace to people who are living evil. Jesus understood that fearing God helps us keep from falling into sin. Fearing God actually shows our love for God. This is so important. And the fear of the Lord is directly connected to obedience to him. Godly fear helps us trust in the Lord and in his plans. Fearing the Lord helps us to see him as he really is. It's realizing that he does have all the answers, and he has the power to bring it all to pass. We need to learn to fear the Lord. Because when you learn to fear the Lord, you will learn to trust in the Lord. It's so much better to revere the Lord, to trust him, and to turn our back on evil than to just follow our own inclinations, what we think is best. You remember Job? Job's a great example of this. Pastor Chris just preached on him for two weeks 
Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job lived out Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Job did not understand why he was suffering so greatly, but he was convinced that the Lord knew what he was doing. He was convinced that the Lord was with him. Job feared the Lord so much that he refused to curse God, even though that's what his wife had suggested that he do. You know you fear the Lord if you are ignoring what your wife tells you to do. Men, am I right about it? Job acknowledged that his responsibility was to worship, reverence, fear the Lord, and reject evil. And so we find later in the story of Job 28, verse 28, he quotes the Lord saying, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So because Job feared the Lord, he knew that the Lord knew better, and he did not let his sufferings persuade him to sin. Instead, he reverenced the Lord, and his faithfulness eventually, not as quickly as he would have liked, but eventually led to an abundant reward, even more than he had started out with. Who were some others that feared the Lord? I'm glad you asked. There's this guy named Joseph. Joseph feared the Lord when he refused to lay with his master's wife. Joseph's fear of the Lord equipped him to honor that earthly master. Joseph feared the Lord when people were around and when he was all by himself. Let me repeat that one so we can take note. Joseph feared the Lord when people were around and when he was by himself. Joseph feared the Lord because he loved the Lord. When we fear the Lord from a place of love, we are able to love and serve others better, especially those that have a place of authority in our lives, like Joseph showed with this with Potiphar. Who are some others? Abraham. Abraham feared the Lord when he was willing to sacrifice his own son to him. Noah feared the Lord when he obeyed the Lord's instructions to build an ark. This got him ridiculed, but it also led him and his family to safety. Daniel feared the Lord when he ignored the king's decree and instead continued to pray to the one true God. This got him thrown into the lion's den, but God protected and delivered him. Moses feared the Lord when he did not allow his past and his speech problems to keep him from submitting to God. Everyone who fears the Lord is rewarded. Everyone who fears the Lord is delivered. No matter the challenges before us, if we fear the Lord, we're going to win. This is what Solomon is trying to get across to Rehoboam. Solomon is trying to provide his son with the necessary tools to earn favor in God's sight. And the key to earning favor in the sight of God is to always live aware of the sight of God. Living in the fear of God is living in the presence of God. It's having constant awareness of God and a reverence for him. That song that we sing sometimes, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. There's a line that says, let us become more aware of your presence. This should be our prayer, church. Living in the fear of God helps you to see yourself as God sees you. 
Living in the fear of God helps you see through the eyes of God. It's having respect for the way that he sees us, sees others, and sees situations. And this forces us to see ourselves differently than we naturally do see ourselves. Because our heart is deceitful. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful. And because of this, we typically see ourselves in the wrong way. But by seeing ourselves how God sees us, we will have a truthful perspective of ourselves. Living without the fear of God allows what you see in the mirror or what you see in your mind to determine who you think you are. This is so dangerous because you are not who you see in the mirror. You are not who your mind says that you are. You are who God says that you are. See yourself as God sees you. Man, that's so hard, but it changes everything. There was a song that came out in 2011 by a Christian recording artist, Jason Gray, a song titled, Remind Me Who I Am. Let me share some of the lyrics with you. When I lose my way and I forget my name, remind me who I am. In the mirror, all I see is who I don't want to be. Remind me who I am. In the loneliest places, when I can't remember what grace is, tell me once again who I am to you, who I am to you. Tell me, lest I forget who I am to you, that I belong to you. Child of God, son of God, daughter of God, see yourself how God sees you. We're to live in Coram Deo, just like my tattoo, in the presence of God. Because if we're living in the sight of God, in the presence of God, in the fear of God, then we will be able to shun or reject evil. That's the next part of verse 7. Now, a similar word to shun from the Hebrew word sir is found in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Here's the word. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When we shun evil, evil flees. When we resist the devil, the devil flees. He runs away because he's terrified when a believer resists him. Why is that? Because believers cannot resist in their own strength, but only in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you shun evil and resist the devil, we're demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy has to get away from that as fast as possible. On this Pentecost Sunday, aren't you thankful for how the Holy Spirit empowers you with the authority of Almighty God? The enemy is a coward. The enemy is a loser. And when we take a firm stand against him, it reminds him that he is defeated. Amen? So we resist the devil. We resist evil. And as Scripture often does, today's passage encourages us to trust in the Lord and it encourages us to trust in the Lord by revealing what happens when we do trust in the Lord. In verse 8, we find healing for our flesh and refreshment to our bones. We find that turning from evil, as the Amplified says, entirely turning from evil leads to full restoration. So verse 7 shows us why it's wrong to think too highly of ourselves. It's sin. When we're wise in our own eyes, we're leaning on our own understanding. When we do not fear the Lord, we cannot submit to him. Verse 8 will now show us the benefit of thinking highly 
of God. We'll find that we can experience physical, mental, and emotional benefits as a result of our spiritual disciplines. Amen? I've got one amen. Let's look at some of these key words in verse 8. We find the English word health from the Hebrew word refuth, meaning healing or to become sound. We find the word body from the Hebrew word shore, meaning self, matter, person, navel. We'll, we'll talk about that a little more later, but just a quick note. When the Bible talks about body, this is physical. This is your entire nervous system, but this is also your mind and your spirit. There's so much wrapped up in this one word, English word of body. We find the English word nourishment from the Hebrew word aman, meaning provide for, sustain, to feed, nurse or support, refreshment. We find the word bones from the Hebrew asem, meaning body, limb, blood, marrow, strength. So much goodness in this verse. Now raise your hand if you've ever heard the saying, what you feed grows and what you starve dies. Yeah, it's so true. Have you found that to be true? Input equals output, amen? And one of the ways that we can nourish the good in our lives is by, as verse seven says, fearing the Lord, staying away from evil. Because when you focus on the good, the bad gets overlooked, right? Focus on the good, the bad gets overlooked. Whatever you magnify gets bigger in front of you. So verse 8 shows us what happens when we magnify verse 7 in our lives. Verse 8 is also a reference back to verse 2, speaking of prolonged peace, prolonged life, excuse me, peace and prosperity. And again, the activities that improve our health are not being wise in our own eyes, fearing God, turning away from evil. And then we get this rich truth in verse 8, which is so cool and maybe even a little surprising, right? It's like, like this isn't a medical journal, right? No, but, but the Bible is an everything journal. And actually, many modern medical professionals believe something similar to what we find in God's word here. Many just don't know that the truth originated in the word of God, but we heard it there first, amen? In a word, the benefits of walking in wisdom and the fear of God is that we walk in peace. Study after study has been done by the medical world that shouts out the health benefits of being at peace. Well, the peace that God gives is far more valuable than the temporary peace achieved by some in the world. And this morning I was reading about the peace of God and how when you become a believer, you are at peace with God, okay? When you are saved, you are at peace with God. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have the peace of God, okay? The peace of God only comes through trial and error, through pain, through growing pains, through experiences, and you learn to see that you can have the peace of God that the word says surpasses all understanding. So regardless of your circumstance, you can have the peace of God. This is the peace that Jesus offers. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. And God's peace is, val is valuable both now and forever. Amen? If we choose not to be wise in our own eyes, we will know a peace 
that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that will defend both our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The world's peace only lasts as long as you've got what the world has to offer, the world's goods or, or the good fortune, the luck to not experience troubles and trials. But that poses a very difficult problem because the world is filled with troubles and trials. But God's peace is strong no matter what, no matter your circumstance, because he tells us that all things are working together for our good, for those of us that are called, that love him and called according to his purpose. Amen? So that's peace. But sin, sin, on the other hand, is devastating to our mental and physical well-being. David spoke of the year he was in sin with Bathsheba as, quote, when he groaned under the weight of his guilt and shame. He spoke of how his bones were drying up and his health failed due to the discipline that was upon him. We learn from God's law in the Old Testament an entire system of how to maintain good hygiene and good eating habits. There's so much teaching about how we should eat, how to keep clean from disease, uh, sexual purity, and a lot of other instructions for healthy living. So what if, instead of following the latest diet trend or comparing ourselves to a famous fitness trainer, we just followed the word of God? What if we applied the truth of the word to our lives? I'm convinced we would experience more physical, mental, and emotional transformation as a result of consistent spiritual discipline and righteous living. God's wisdom always leads to good results when we choose to walk in it rather than in the stubbornness of our own hearts. Truly, we will enjoy healing in our bodies and refreshment in our bones when we read the Bible and do what it says, as we heard last Sunday. Now, as we prepare to close here shortly, I want to talk about the navel for a moment. Are we allowed to do that? It almost seems like a bad word. All right, navel, whether you would admit it or not, whether you know it or not, you want a healthy navel. You need a healthy navel. I won't ask you to raise your hand. What is a navel? It's kind of orange, right? Well, yes, and the navel orange actually gets its name from the human navel because of the similar appearance. But the navel is the belly button, right? Where the umbilical cord was detached at birth, the navel is not the physical center of one's body, but the navel is figuratively the center of one's body, the physical location of the umbilical cord from conception. Remember, this is one of the definitions of the original Hebrew word for body. Solomon challenges us that the person who resists sin and evil and fears the Lord is blessed with health and wholeness from the very center of who they are. His heart and mind do not carry the guilt of sin, and his body does not carry the physical toll of sin. I need to repeat that. When you are not wise in your own eyes, when you fear the Lord and resist sin, your heart and mind will not carry the guilt of sin. And your body will not carry the physical weight of sin. Oh, what freedom that would be. Amen? 
David talked about the weight, the crushing weight of his guilt and shame because of the sin in his life. The Lord wants to bring healing and full restoration to your bodies, but also nourishment to your bones, your blood and marrow. What does this represent? He wants to refresh that which is necessary for your life, your blood. He wants to nurse and support that which makes what is necessary for your life, your very marrow. Some versions of the Bible say that you will have a drink or water for your bones. David said that his bones were drying up. The sight of dry bones was not uncommon in biblical times. And the image of dry bones symbolized distress and desolation. It represented anxiety, sorrow, pain, and emptiness. These are the areas that God wants to correct and restore in your life, child of God. Do you want a real and physically and spiritually healthy life with vigor and confidence in all that God says you can have? Then trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Maybe you can think of it this way. Medicine can add years to your life, but trusting God and living righteously in his sight will add life to your years. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some versions say, have it more abundantly or have it plentifully. Nothing missing, nothing broken. This is the kind of life that Christ died for you to have. So have you placed your trust in the Lord? Are you leaning on him completely? If not, then I want to invite you to step into the healthiest lifestyle imaginable. Healthy for you now and healthy for you eternally because it leads to eternity in heaven with Jesus. You ask, what do I have to do? Well, number one, admit that you're a sinner, that you need God's help, that you're willing to turn from that sin and you're going to trust in Jesus as both Savior and Lord. That's where it begins. Amen. Would you please stand? And close your eyes, remain in an attitude of worship. If you're here today and you have not trusted the Lord, if you've not put your future in his hands, you've not given him control, you've not acknowledged him as Savior and Lord, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that with heads bowed, with eyes closed, Christians quietly praying in agreement. If you're here today and you want to receive Jesus, then I invite you to raise your hand. you to repeat after me, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, and I'd encourage you to 
ask that you would say this prayer out loud because the Bible says that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory and the wages of that sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, his son. And if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus died and then rose from the grave, that he would, that we would be saved. He would make his home in our hearts. So I invite you now, pray with me. Pray out loud so you hear it with your own ears. Say, dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I need you. Today I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I trust in you. Be my savior. Be my Lord. Make me more like you. Help me to trust you better. Help me to resist evil. Help me to fear you. And I declare that I will never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. All that I am or ever hope to be, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. You are Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Let's remain in this attitude of worship and let's worship a little bit more. Let's lift our voices and sing.